0: One of Lewis's biggest advantages is he is masterful at managing the tires, managing the amount of sliding the tires do, and that's great in the race. We
1: may have had a large summer break, but another F1 weekend brought more rain and more pain mercedes fans as a bad strategy call at the start of the dutch grand prix cost the silver arrows dearly in what was looking like a promising weekend join me Balve baines as we look into why mercedes got their strategy so wrong how come lewis went backwards with the car as the weekend progressed and regardless of all that did mercedes actually finish with the second fastest car of the weekend? So we're back after the summer break. Thanks everyone for your support in the first half of the season. We're relaxed and ready to go for the last 10 races of the year. Joining me today to discuss the weekend just gone, we have Sky Sports' Cara Bostock and Matt Trumpets from the Missed Apex podcast. Cara, how are you
2: doing? I'm good, Valve. I'm excited to be talking about Mercedes. I feel I've had my general F1 cap on and now I've got my Mercedes cap firmly back on for this.
1: Yeah, definitely. I had to find my cap. It was underneath the bed. But luckily, luckily for everyone, we did find it. We did find it. Uh, but Matt, how are you doing? How's New York looking?
0: Uh, it's looking pretty grey and dismal. I feel, like, uh, I feel like the Grand Prix exported its weather to us today. <laughs>
1: we'll, de- we'll definitely get to that weather situation that we had at the Dutch Grand Prix. But before we get started into FP1 and FP2, let's chat about upgrades and whether or not they seemed to work. Matt, I want to come to you first. There was some floor adjustments and also the beam wing as well.
0: Well, I think what you'll find, especially with a beam wing, is it starts to become very situational and circuit specific. It's a very easy piece to make minor adjustments on, and it doesn't cost a lot in terms of CFD and wind tunnel testing. So you'll note that a lot of teams bring a lot of different beam wings to different types of circuit. That said, arguably, Mercedes had the second fastest car overall in the race, so I wouldn't say they're not not working. I would say perhaps they're not working as well as Mercedes would like them to. And that you know, we discussed the last time I was on is down mainly to the fact that. They've sort of changed horses midstream and there's some things that they're not going to be able to get the way they want until they get to next season, mainly the rear end of the car and the bit that's around what they call the side impact protector, side impact protection spars, SIPs or SIP. And uh, that's just going to continue to keep them from getting, you know, getting where they'd like to be, which is, of course, uh, directly chasing Max for the lead of the race.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Let's get into FP1 and FP2. We made a joke of late about how off the pace Mercedes can look on a Friday. But this time around, they look slick, both in their fast runs and their long runs. Cara Lewis was even suggesting we'll be up there with the Red Bulls, albeit slightly behind.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of optimism coming out of the break. I suppose that's natural, you know what Lewis is like, I'm sure he's got focused back in the zone. He's like, "I'm gonna find a podium this season." um listening back to his press conference actually after the two practice sessions, it was like the car was feeling good from the get go, We're there or there about. We were just trying to get the tires into that right window. Um, Max usually tops practice, and Max always wins. George was second and Lewis fifth. So you're thinking, oh, we've got something good here.
0: Yeah. And and I would I would just like to add to that. The thing that I really noticed was they showed up Friday with a card that I, th- I think Lewis in particular very much liked. And each successive session, he liked it less. So he said, Oh, second practice. He's like, Yeah, we went, we did some setup things. It didn't feel as good as the morning get to FP3, and he's like, I don't know, did we lose the steering wheel? You get through qualifying, he's like, wait, why was I having to pedal my car around the circuit? And then you get to the race, and suddenly, bang, there you go again. So it's interesting. I think that, you know... Not not to be a caricature of myself, a lot of it had to do, as Kara rightly points out, with getting the tires where they needed to be. And as the weather got colder and went away from the, uh, the Friday morning practice, I think that got harder in particular for Lewis, given the nature of the, the setup changes the team were making to be ready for the race on Sunday.
2: I saw something quite funny on F1 Instagram actually before qualifying and they did this thing where they had marbles down the track and each marble had each driver's number on like, who's going to win? And it was George that was the winning marble. And then obviously with him doing so well in qualifying, I was like, oh my God, they've predicted it right. As, as we know, it didn't turn out to be that way, but I did think that epitomized the good feeling towards yes. the weekend. <laughs>
0: Maybe that's how they should have done their weather forecast. They might have had more luck. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Matt, do you think there was a, any hangover
1: from from the summer break or with the results that we saw over the weekend?
0: No, no, I don't think so. I think both drivers were very, very honored. I think they were very motivated, and they were very happy out of the gate with the way the car performed. Like, unlike, uh, you know, I'll bring up everybody's favorite Ferrari here and say you could look at how the Ferrari drivers reacted to the car they got and understand that. Even though this shouldn't have been a, a super great track for Mercedes strengths, they were very happy with where they were. And and they I think they had a long-term game plan for the weekend that was just really got, you know, cashiered by the weather, honestly.
2: Lewis had two fourth place finishes before the break. And, you know, he's a guy that's used to winning, but compared to where Mercedes have been. You'd think that would give him a little bit of motivation. He qualified pole in Hungary, but he wasn't able to capitalize on that. So on one hand, yes, it's a fresh start. Well, not a fresh car, but somewhat of a fresh start coming into this second half of the season. But they've not exactly been doing bad things before it either. So every way you look at it, it was going to hopefully be positive for Mercedes. Ryan Reynolds here from Mobile. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Yeah, the, the the data seemed to show and the, the results seemed to show that it was going to be positive. But we'll get we'll get into that in just a bit. But in terms of qualifying, Cara, it was a difficult quality session in which Lewis was impeded a lot. But nevertheless, he was disappointed not to get out of Q2 and start P30. What do you think went wrong?
2: Yeah, Lewis just didn't seem to have the same pace as George throughout qualifying, really. And then he was impeded in Q1 by Alonso. And, but then was that going to be his you know, astounding lap? And then he's 12th in Q1, so that's not convincing at all. And then he doesn't get out of Q2. And that's such a big shock. I don't know if he just didn't time his sh- Push lap. The track is so short, and it was almost this just tumbling down from Friday. As we've like, as Matt has said, it's just got worse and worse and worse. And George didn't seem to suffer that way. So, as a Mercedes fan, you're like, okay, where do we stand here? What's happening with these improvements? Do they just really suit George? Is this just a bad weekend for Lewis? But then, does Lewis have bad weekends in terms
0: of driving? I want to dig into that a little bit more because this, to me, is is one of these more interesting diversions that's happened especially with this regulation set so if you look at the weather for qualifying it was just downright cold and damp and we know we can think back to the terrible spa qualifying where they put lewis on brand new tires and you couldn't get temperature in them one of lewis's biggest advantages is he is masterful at managing the tires managing the amount of sliding the tires do. And that's great in the race because in the race, they want to overheat. And the people who can keep them from overheating the best get the most out of the tires. They get the most out of the tires. They can run them longer. They have more strategic options available. And I think this is why we've seen sort of as the season progresses in the race, we've seen Lewis doing better because he's just better at that. George is still a more aggressive driver with his tires. But the advantage to that in cold conditions is that he can get the tires, especially the front tires, to fire up in a way that I think Lewis was struggling with a little bit. I don't think it would have been impossible for him to get out of Q2. But then we get the impeding, which put him out of sequence with the drivers around him, which meant that every time he was trying to go fast, he was running into drivers who were slowing down. And that cost him ultimately the battery he needed and the tire temperature he needed to really be able to exit Q2 and make Q3. I don't think it was a lack of pace. I think if you put him out there on track, let him do his own out lap and do his own fast lap at the end, because he did. He missed out on really the last full lap of track evolution as well because of the timing of his run. He didn't get back around, and he'd already done two sort of push kind of laps. So he had the ability to make it out. But it really, it was just a team and a timing thing. And we saw other drivers. I saw Alcon just get absolutely hammered by a Red Bull that decided to do two push laps in a row, completely put him out. There were plenty of drivers getting impeded and having runs ruined. The timing was just really, really unfortunate for Lewis, especially as his confidence in the car had been waning over the course of the weekend.
1: And do you think about that impeding? Do you think that's track-specific? to zandvoort or do you think
0: the weather played a bit um what you'll notice any race that is that the cars are on enters unless it's getting really really dry the general run plan and and honestly as someone who follows qualifying i hate wet qualifying even though they're very exciting to watch because what happens is they just basically dump a load of fuel into the car and they say go run around for 17 minutes and we might bring you in for fresh tires halfway through And what happens is you go cool, push, cool, push, cool, push, 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 cool. And as time runs down, the team continues to recalculate. And then maybe at a certain point, if you're in the drop zone, they might bring you in for fresh enters to give you one or two more shots, uh, depending upon what they think you're capable of. But it makes it really hard to follow the on-track action because it never stops. Whereas in a dry quality, you go up. You do you do a push lap, a cool a push lap. You come back in, and then you go back out for the last bit, unless you've done well enough that you know that the times aren't going to kick you to, kick you to the curb, so to speak. And so it's hard for the team because the team has to track what each other driver around your driver is doing, and the goal is to be in a group of cars that are going fast on the same lap and going slow on the same lap. And what happened with the impeding? Um, to the best of my memory, was essentially he got a half pu- halfway through a push lap and then something happened that just ruined it. And so now he's out of sequence and the team is having to improvise to try and get him a fast lap at the very, very end. And then he had another lap ruined and I think it just, it put him too far out of his rhythm keeping the tires, getting the tires where he wanted, because his second lap, tires overheated about the end of the first sector, and it had exhausted his battery. Basically, what they realized was he couldn't do a fast and a slow and a fast lap and make the checkered flag. So they switched to, let's do two fast laps, because you should be, you should have a bubble of time that you can go fast in. But by that time, he didn't have the car resource to really bring the lap time in. And you can try and predict these things. You can, I think you can be harsher on teams in dry conditions. Everybody does try to get the last lap in, but it's more predictable and track evolution generally isn't as massive. But in a wet race, a lot of times the last person across the line is the person with the fastest lap, and you can see seconds drop away in that final push. So I don't blame them for trying to get him there. It just didn't work out.
2: Yeah. yeah, as Matt says, it's that combination of a short track and the track constantly evolving. So your window is just getting shorter and shorter and shorter. And there's been all this talk this weekend of the poor Mercedes strategy. And I think perhaps if it had just been that qualifying incident and they would got the race bang on, there might have been more, oh, it was just bad luck there because of Wiesbaden. As we've said, it's so hard with all these factors constantly changing to pick your perfect moment. But because that was then one of many mistakes, it's caused Toto to go back and say, "Okay, we need to have a big overhaul and really look at what's gone wrong here."
0: Are we going to get to the race yet? Because I have, I have, I have some new thoughts about that. But but we can continue to talk about Quali because George did do rather well.
1: Yeah, no, he he did. Yeah, we'll definitely get to the to the race in just a second. But in both FP3 and Quali. It seemed George Russell had a superior one lap pace to Lewis Hamilton. He seemed to struggle in the last few races before the break, Cara. But do you think the summer break came at the right time for him? I mean, parting with Danny Rick, I mean, that's got to energize anyone.
2: Yeah, I'm sure he had a good switch off over the summer, some great Instagram photos, as we would expect um, from all F1 drivers, not too many topless, which I suppose was not expected from George. Um, I think, yeah, when your teammate's doing better than you, that's who you're racing in F1 every weekend. You know, they're the person, they've got the same car. And with Lewis just getting ahead, George, like all these you know, I was about to call them psycho, but, you know, they have that element, these F1 drivers it's going to be going away and thinking, right, how am I going to finish this year on top of Lewis Hamilton, on top of seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton? So I'm sure he's coming in fresh. And perhaps what Matt was saying, maybe he's not aware of it, but he has that advantage almost in the wet conditions because he knows how to switch on the ties so much quicker and get that good qualifying result.
0: Yeah, and and if I'm George... I don't know. Maybe at this point, I'm I'm taking a slightly longer view of beating Lewis Hamilton. Maybe I'm just coming back in and saying like, oh, you know, all right. Maybe I don't want to beat him. Maybe I want to find another half a tenth. And then he walks into a situation where he gets a car he really likes the feel of, and as the weekend goes on, the track temperature and the conditions really come towards him. In a way that he's not having to think about the tires and manage them as much as I think he often, I think he often really does just overheat the tires and then get hung out to dry, trying to keep them from going uh, completely off the boil. And it just, it just, you have those magic weekends when you perform sometimes and all, all the factors come together. You know, I use like a musician, Like I did a concert last week and the sound was incredible. You know, it just sounded like you just, you barely put any effort and it sounded fantastic. And it was so much fun to play. And then, then uh, Sunday, Saturday, I did another concert and it was the exact opposite. It was outdoors and it just felt like you were playing into a pillow and you was just exhausted after the first third of the concert. So, you know, you have to be able to cope with these different conditions and still put forward a professional result. It was a great weekend for George, despite the race result, which was not, well, we can discuss whether or not that was his fault, too, I suppose. But I think qualifying, he's had a pace advantage on Lewis. The problem is qualifying at most tracks just doesn't matter as much as your race pace. At Zandvoort, it does because there's no passing from like about turn three to turn what? Uh, what was the other term where they were getting people? Maybe the back straight DRFs? to turn 11 or something like that I forget I forget the turn numbers now but there was really only one two maybe three places you could pass on that track whereas at Spa there was a lot more places we saw people making passes
1: happen and also is known to having uh, quite a short pit as well so I think that goes into comes into play as well Lewis was obviously downbeat afterwards and talked about lack. Of confidence in the car, so Matt, the Friday versus the Saturday kind of sums up the W14, doesn't it?
0: Well, yeah, it is. As as they have often been fond of saying, it is a diva. It it can be unpredictable, and they don't fully understand it. I think even now, I think they understand it enough to make it better, to optimize what they have, but it will still be um, it will still be unpredictable to them. And in fact, um. Alex Albin made a comment after the race that that really kind of caught my attention because, you know, as much as as we expected Mercedes to be decent, no one expected Williams to be that good. And he just made an offhanded comment like, yeah, you know, we're not sure we understand it, but uh, there was always this, there was always this headwind in all the low-speed corners. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that's, you know, like he, he I love Alex, says he will just drop technical tidbits like that. But the opposite can be true. That might have been really what was causing Mercedes issues on Hamilton's car, for example, for the way he likes it to feel. These cars are very wind sensitive and they are right by a beach. So, you know, the, the weirdest little things can sometimes m- make your car go from feeling great to feeling like I... Uh, like, why is it doing the opposite of what I expect into every turn? And I think that was part of what happened with Lewis, for sure. And and as you point out, a problem with the platform in general.
1: Let's go on to the race itself. Then, uh, Matt, let's talk about your two favourite things in the world, tyres and strategy. <laughs> yeah. Simulations suggested there were already a load of tightly contested strategy options for the race. And that was before the weather was even taken into account. What was Mercedes' intended strategy and how did the rain catch them out so much? Uh, Cara said earlier that they had a poor Mercedes strategy. So why do you think that played into, into, the, into the hands of, of the drivers?
0: Well, I think we can start with the fact that, uh, as I'm sure everybody knows by now, Lewis started on the medium tire, which was the tire for the one-stop strategy. And if you recall, about a year ago, up until the virtual safety car, they looked to be making pretty good on that strategy at this racetrack. So I think given Lewis's starting position, they were taking a gamble on the medium tire, either if it stayed dry, a one, going for the one-stopper, which they thought they could pull off based on, you know, last year's result, or hopefully the rain showing up after everybody had to make their first pit stop, thereby giving Lewis a 22nd advantage or so, which I think is about the pit delta. So I think for Lewis, they were going to see if they could go one stop because of his starting position. And I think for George, I mean, he was starting third. His job was they were going to do, they were going to try and stay close enough to undercut whoever was in front of him and be involved in the pit strategy in that front group, which looked to be a two stopper, the quickest way around, according to Pirelli, all of whose calculations were based on very little data. And the. Hilariously fun notion that it would stay dry the entire time.
2: As Matt said, that's an interesting way of looking at it that they had almost, they were maybe too fixed in their strategy. If they're thinking, right, Lewis, we're going to do a one stop going into it. You imagine an F1 strategy crew is constantly reacting, predicting, but the rain comes and in the back of their mind, they're, you know, they're almost going back to their default like, oh no, we're, we're holding Lewis out longer. He's going for a one stop. I don't know that might be a basic way of looking at it, but is that the thing that's caused the hurdles here? They've not straight away gone, oh, yeah, let's get him in. They've referred back to the norm where they've not calculated in any of this rain.
0: Uh, Well, that to me is the most interesting question here. I think, like I, I went and read through a transcript of some of the team radio chat. And I think George, at least, was happy to stay out far longer than was sensible. He was on the soft tire. But you can go back and look at the gaps uh, to the leaders and see that by time you got to the start of lap four, which was the lap that Hamilton came in on, he'd, he'd, um, he'd gone from seven seconds, uh, from about 20 seconds back of Perez to 26 seconds back of Perez. Like Like they were losing... I, I want to say it was 16 seconds on that lap, and I think it was over 20 seconds on the following lap, especially with Lewis, um, because he was on the medium tire, and it immediately lost temperature. And here, I do wonder um, if you have a point that they were thinking too much that really, huh, you know what it is? They believe their own forecast more than their own eyeballs, I, I think. And I think this is often an issue with Formula One teams. Uh, they're glued to the weather radar and the, and the little bar says, oh, rain easing in three minutes, blah, 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 blah. And they're like, no, no, we're going to stick it out. It's going to ease. And then you save yourself, you know, then you save yourself 40 seconds worth of pit stops, roughly. But it was heavier than initially predicted, so they were also losing massive amounts of time, you know. And it was only, only the only thing that saved the people who stayed out was the uh, sergeant safety car, honestly, because because they were done otherwise.
1: Do you think Cara, the strategy team, have been guilty of not being flexible enough in terms of the strategy?
2: Yeah, I suppose that point I initially made. That's the way you first look at it and Mercedes are a team that I think are known for really strong strategy. I think that's why we're talking about it so much because it's a bit of an outlier with Ferrari. It's become a bit of an eye roll and it's, you know, every week, ah, oh, here we go again. But you see Mercedes as the elite of those up there with Red Bull. So I think there's been some big mistakes made here. And as Matt said, they've been too confident. They've not literally opened their eyes and seen
1: Despite the mistakes, both Lewis and George did well to battle back. Lewis from P20. And if we can praise the team for one thing, they did a lovely double stack pit start when they needed to, uh, needed to after Sargent's crash caused a red flag, which Matt, you just mentioned earlier. Knocko from Twitter asks, why did Lewis struggle so much in Quali, but was absolutely flying during the race. And Matt set up more focus than on race than Quali, maybe. During the race, Lewis says that he was happy with the balance. Just the opposite of Saturday.
0: Well, I, I think yeah, balance is tricky. Like I said, it could be something as simple as the wind condition on Sunday favored them, favored him more than it did on Saturday. Uh, but I will, I will simply go back to. Mercedes, as a car in general, does better in races because they're gentler on the tires. And because of that, qualifying is always a bit more of a challenge. On top of that, I'm not sure this is Lewis's favorite, favorite track to drive on in any event. And and it's more of a challenge for the car. Uh, It's uh, Rear left is the biggest limit on the car. There's long high-speed turns that put a lot of focus on the rear axle. And the Mercedes generally is known to have a stronger front end. So it's always a bit of, um, a, a bit of an improvisation for them to make the car work well at the circuit compared to, to other cars that, that have stronger rear axles and do better at rear limited circuits. And then just throw the weather and just bad luck into it. And, and I do, I want to stick up for the Mercedes strategist. Everyone is like, they made so many mistakes. Now, they didn't make They made one mistake, and I'm not even sure it was the strategist's fault. The mistake was they kept the cars out too long at the beginning. Lewis's second pit stop was immaculate. And in fact, I went through the whole race. And aside from not bringing them in on lap two at the latest, there were no mistakes by the Mercedes strategist. And the reason that you saw them in the top 10 at the end of the race was solely down to every other bit of Mercedes strategy being absolutely 100% right. It's easy to bang them for missing the, the correct pit window in hindsight, but, you know, they were hardly the only cars. Only six teams even pitted people. Everybody else stayed out. I mean, Norris eventually came in, but they kept Piastri out. They split strategy where you could ding them. I'm going to do it anyway is that you saw teams like McLaren split strategies. So they brought Norris in, they left Piastri out. That would have been an obvious thing to do with Lewis in hindsight. But again, if you're sitting there and you're being told this rain isn't a big deal and it's going to go away soon and you're not getting any information otherwise, which, of course, other cars, lots of other cars pitting for enters might have been a hint, but, you know, we can discuss that later. Uh, then, then, then on the whole, I think Mercedes strategy actually did a really good job. It's just that one thing was like super duper important.
2: It's interesting. If you look at the final standings, Gasly started 12th, but he finished this race third. Lewis started 13th and he finished sixth. So it was just, and Gasly was one of the first to come in and as Matt said, that was the biggest thing. If they'd got that call right, it could have been a podium this weekend for Lewis.
0: Oh yeah, easily. If, if they'd come in on lap one and the medium tire with that much rain, it would have been reasonable and interesting. Like again, just a driver split. Like, like George was happy on the soft tire, staying out even, even, even beyond when most of the other cars came in on lap, end of lap two. But Lewis was be like, you read through his message, he's like, dude, these tires. <laughs> He's like, And they, they eventually, they acquiesced, they realized that the rain was worse than they had thought. And they brought him in and then George to lap later. And that's why George wound up uh, behind Lewis is because he stayed out that extra lap because he seemed happier in those conditions. And at that point, it would have actually probably been worth keeping him out there with Albin because then he would have been in that Albin contingent. So again, Maybe you know I I have this question sometimes if maybe their commitment to being absolutely fair to the drivers in strategy terms sometimes keeps them from splitting things. Although I do believe the strategy was split at the start, but in the heat of the moment they're like we're going to do both. We're going to do the same thing with both drivers so they don't yell at us afterwards. And I wonder if sometimes that does make their life harder.
1: Uh, Joe's crash seems another moment of drama and a red flag that seemingly benefited Mercedes. But on the restart, George Russell picked up a puncture following a, a crash or clash with Lando Norris. So, Cara, was he unlucky or should he have left a little bit more room in that incident?
2: I think he was unlucky. I think when you watch it back, it's one of those things. It's a racing incident and there's not much in it. I think us in the media, you can look into a little bit and think maybe is he frustrated at that point? You hear him saying on the radio, you know, I was predicted a podium in this race and he's starting to, you know, really, really fight for it. But it was one of those that it was an unlucky weekend for Mercedes, really. And I think, yeah, just with the conditions not dry yet, he's just got that one wrong.
0: I'm going to very politely disagree with you. I think uh, when it comes to the Norris incident, I think it's very much on Lando. Now, that said, it's barely an incident. George had passed Lando, and Lando was coming back to try and make the pass in, into, the chicane, into the chicane there. And he just just turned in a little too soon. Because like, I, I watched the onboards for both. And George's on board, he could have maybe been half a tire width farther right. But that's all the room he had to give. But Lando, being on the outside of the first turn, could have gone deeper before turning in, and and it just honestly and having had this discussion um, uh, in Austria about how difficult it is to see around those eighteen-inch wheels and to know where your the in plate of the car really is. Uh, to me, that very, very, very much falls into the margin of error, probably for both drivers. But if anyone was pushing it there, I, I think it was Norris a little bit because he was he, he is the one who had caught and was trying to be the other driver into the corner. So to me, uh, just as, as a non FIA judgment, I, I make two judgments. One, who has more room? Whoever left the lease room gets the blame. And two, he's coming from behind and trying to overtake. So that's always a little more responsibility on the overtaking driver to make a safe overtake. And it was just bad luck that Russell picked up a puncture there. Because otherwise, you know, he was still on for a point finish uh, despite the disaster of, of, of the race that had already unfolded for him in many ways. I do think, however, the Sonoda incident is the one we should be talking about, because Sonoda got a penalty for it, but I'm not convinced that was entirely Sonoda's fault. I think George could have left him a little bit more room, because based on the way he was driving, it kind of looked like to me he's just sort of pulling out of the way and saying, yep, go buy me, George, and then smack. And he picked up damage to his wheel cover from that. It got cracked, and he had a vibration from then on.
2: I like it when people disagree with me. I think it it makes so good. We've we've had your friend from Miss Ape, Miss Apex on the podcast before, and he's very good at disagreeing. Spanners, so. yeah, yeah, spanners.
0: Oh uh, Lord, th- yes. You know, tell me about it,
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: spanners. Wherever <if> you are,
2: <laughs> yeah, big shout out there. No, I think is you know we can look at it both ways. I say very diplomatically, but the FAA did sort of take my position, and that there wasn't much into it. And you say sort of Lando was the only one with the room, but when you're both in that sort of racing mode and he's trying to come round and George is the one there making the move, I, yeah, I I think it was just unlucky for him.
0: Yeah, unlucky into an unlucky race in many ways, I think.
1: Lewis was perhaps a little disappointed not to get past
2: signs at the
1: end. You would have hoped a low fuel Mercedes would outstrip the Ferrari as that's always been one of the W14's
0: strengths. Well, yeah, it, it has. And I would think on a perfectly dry track, that pass would have happened. But I'll note that we had no DRS for the end of the race. And we also didn't have a standing start at the end of the race. And, you know, I, I would need to go back and look. But honestly, how many overtakes did we really see without DRS that weren't Alonzo at the start and to turn three? I, maybe one or two, it's very hard to pass at this track. It's especially hard when the track is wet and there's a narrow line that you can run. And it's supremely hard if you also don't have DRS. And Ferrari, for all their other foibles, have always been very good at acceleration. And you look at turn 13 down the main straight, Ferrari has an advantage there on throttle. And I think that's that was one of the turns it was 11 or 13, but, but Lewis was struggling a bit to stay close enough going into that long straight to be able to take full advantage of, of, of his car. And there just, there weren't enough laps. I think with enough laps, that pass would have happened because Ferrari's rears would have gone off and then he'd have been round them. But there weren't enough laps left. And, and that's why, as much as I understand it from a safety point of view, I'm a bit sad they didn't gamble on a standing start again.
2: I think we need to remain positive on this Mercedes podcast because um, <laughs> that's quite a big statement um, with how the season's gone. But on first glance, you can go, shouldn't Lewis with the race pace be getting past signs? But Matt's just spoken through there all the different factors that were up against them. We forget it's where, we forget how hard it is to pass in Zandvoort. So I don't think we can still deny the race pace because Lewis came through the pack well at different points. And at the end of the day, that is the most important thing in Formula One. So looking forward, that's still something to talk positively about.
1: Who do you think left uh, Zandvoort a happier driver, Lewis or George, do you think,
2: Cara? Surely Lewis. Yeah? Yeah. George is, you know, he's got that puncture and he's finishing way, way down. And Lewis started 13. And he's up to six. So actually, that's still a good race. He's obviously had the safety car that's allowed him to do that. But yeah, George, that is just towards the end of the race. That's really
0: hard. Yeah, I mean, there were chunks of time uh, that both George and Lewis were running at or near Verstappen's pace for extended periods. Now, I know Verstappen was managing uh, fuel and tires to an extent. So don't get too excited, Mercedes fan. <laughs> there was definitely some management happening there at the front of the race. But if I'm Lewis, I felt I was distinctly unhappy after qualifying. But by the time I get to the end of the race, I feel like I've got a car that I was loving to drive. And the only frustration is just events beyond my control put me where I was. And I just didn't have enough laps to do what I could do. If I'm George, I'm looking at I started third and I finished 17th. And it doesn't matter how the car feels. You just, you, you've left a lot on the table, and that's that can't be a good feeling, even if everything was beyond your control, which, you know, again, Tsunoda, definitely, I, I feel like he could have left more room and avoided that crunch there. Still, he had a good drive, especially on the hard tire, which, uh, to my mind, they opted to do that, hoping the others would bail for the soft and have to make an extra pit stop, which is pretty much what happened. Um, and then he would get an extra 20 seconds back because he, he saw that Bottas and Hulkenberg were putting on the medium as he came around to the pit. So I, I think Mercedes was thinking they would be stuck behind harder, tired cars, and they would need to be able to go that extra distance because he was so far behind at the restart.
1: Do you think, Matt, that progress has been made since the end of July when we went on the summer break when we left uh, left of Belgium?
0: What are you saying that Mercedes engineers illegally worked on the car over the summer never. break? Are I you, are you never, I would Are you hinting say at that. such a thing? <laughs> I would never
1: say that. Uh, but <laughs> I don't know. It's just it just seems like there's there's just something just going on, and I just can't put my can't put my finger in it in Brackley and Brixworth.
0: I think, yeah. Is progress been made? Yeah. I think every time they show up to the track, they learn more about their car and everything they're learning now is informing the choices they're in the middle of making for next season. So if there's a mood of giddy optimism, it may not entirely be about what's happening right now in front of you in track. It might be about things that they are predicting would do X and then did exactly X making making their design for next season stronger and giving them a better correlation and testing the tools they're going to need to be able to really get that car where they want it to be
2: you've got to find out what doesn't work to find out what does so again as a positive mercedes fan that's a spin you can take on this year, that they're trying so many different things and lots of those different things have worked or they've worked a little bit and there's all this investigative work going on and that's going to correlate into something so much stronger next season.
0: It's like running a marathon with shoes half a size too small and still finishing second. I mean, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, it's, it's got to be a good feeling to know you've got those sorts of limitations at the start of the weekend and still be able to convert with a third. I mean, the car was fast. They got a third in qualifying. They had a six. And, you know, had they not missed the one strategy call, probably a podium here in very changeable and difficult conditions that both drivers coped very well with. There's not a lot to hate about this weekend, aside from Geez, would have been nice if they brought Lewis in to get off the medium tire once they saw how heavy the rain was, like lap 1 or lap 2, like most uh, most the uh, majority of other teams did. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more
1: And that leads us nicely to a question from Peter on Twitter. So even if Mercedes managed to build a car that can compete with Red Bull next year, do you think that they now have the operational and strategic talent to compete with Red Bull over a course of a season to win a championship? What do you think, Cara?
2: Yes, I thought that was quite a, well, a strange question. They've won, what, eight of them? Of course they do. I know there's been some moving about behind the scenes and different people go to different places and they've had a few years where they've been off the pace, but I don't think that's been because of the team behind the scenes. I think it's been because of the car, which I know is a result of some of the teams behind the team, some of the teams behind the scenes, but pit stop wise, you know, we're not quite getting to the two second Red Bull mark, but that's always quick. Strategy wise, I've said the reason this weekend is such a big deal, and Matt said it was only really one mistake, is because Mercedes don't tend to make these sort of mistakes. They're Mr. Consistent across the board. So I think as soon as they have the car that matches their ambitions and matches the talent of their drivers, everyone will just step up and they'll get back into that role that they're used to of being at the top of being consistent and having that confidence in themselves.
0: Yeah, so I think the pit stop thing is actually the more interesting of these two. Because if there's one thing you can say about Mercedes is their pit stops are slow compared to a vast majority of the field. They have been slow and they continue to be slow. And it becomes at a certain point uh, what I like to call low-hanging fruit. And I'm just, I get more and more curious why they have not, spent any time or effort that is visible on improving those pit stop times and there may be a very good explanation for it they might have sat down and said well we could have 2.3 second pit stops but we'll get three five second pit stops out of it whereas we can say at three second pit stops and have nothing but three second pit stops and actually turns out it's more time to have the fast one and the occasional slow one Then vice versa. I mean, maybe they really sat down and did that math and they decided they're happy where they are and they're going to stick with it. So good for them. But it's hard to believe because you see Red Bull pull off pit stops like that. You see Williams pull off pit stops like that. You see other teams pull off pit stops like that. And it's possible. Kind of thing you think they'd want to optimize more. As far as strategy goes, I think my take on that is they've always had the strategic talent. Where they get into trouble is when they get outside their predefined roles. When they led the races all the time, their strategies were very strong. When they were suddenly in a position of having close challengers, they would find situations, new situations would arise. It's just like lottery tickets, rolling the dice enough time. If, if you flip a coin, eventually you flip 50 heads in a row. Eventually you get these weird situations show up. They're not prepared for them. They do the best they can, and then they look at it afterwards. And now they have a whole new set of procedures when they're in this position, so they don't ever, ever get it wrong again. So, uh, like, like, like Kara said, there, it's a situation where sometimes you have to you have to learn what doesn't work. So yes, if they find themselves chasing Red Bull, they will be in a new strategy position, and it might take them time to adjust to that. But that's not something I would be concerned about them being able to do after winning how many straight Constructors Championships in a row? Uh, They'll figure it out, trust me.
2: I think that's an interesting point you make about the pit stops because as that question was asked, I just sort of dismissed it there. But when you think about F1, it's all about those tiny little things and excelling at every single one and then it coming together. I think about it was British Cycling years and years ago. We used to be absolutely pants at cycling in Britain. A new leader came in and he was like, focusing on how the cyclists washed their hands, like what kind of different seats the material was, all these tiny, literally minute things. And now Great Britain is known as this, like he brought them up to this incredible feat of cycling. And he did that through all these tiny, tiny details. And you think that is how an F1 team is run. So I'm not sure. Maybe Mercedes are as, you know, forward thinking as they've done the maths on it. And as you said, a three second stop consistently is... Better off, but then you'd think they would be looking at Red Bull. Like, why can't we do that?
0: So yeah, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I am glad I've con- I I i brought you over to the dark side. I love
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just to end this episode, the F one circus rolls into Italy this weekend. So, Cara, what's your thoughts on on Monza?
2: Ah, oh, festival of speed, Monza mm. is always super exciting. It's an iconic track. Sadly, perhaps for Mercedes fans, it's you know lots of long straights and Red Bull are very good at driving the car um, very fast at full speed. But then this Mercedes, uh, you know, it's not that consistent. We don't really know what to expect. Our race pace has been good, and if they're going to learn from anything this week and build on that, I'm going to say I'm optimistic. I'm not going to be too detailed there. Let myself off. Maybe Matt would like to go into more detail, but I think. Monza's going to be a good weekend for Mercedes?
0: I think it might be a good weekend to root for Mercedes power plants, particularly the ones in the back of a Williams. Because this, this, to me, Monza looks like, I, I know actually, they, they, that was that Vals had said before the summer break. This is like, we expect Monza to possibly be a good race for us, but that might be about the last one. And it's because they're very slippery in a straight line, but they have a very predictable car. With, uh, you know, with, with low downforce on it, so it's easy enough for the drivers to drive. Problem for them is the weather actually looks dry the whole time, so tire degradation is going to be an issue. So it's going to be a question of qualify high up and then see what they can hang on to. If I'm Mercedes, well, I'm, I'm interested to see if they'll bring in a different beam wing. Uh, The rear wing and the way the DRS is configured has a lot to do with uh, Red Bull's DRS advantage. So in that sense, I expect Red Bull to be fairly uncatchable, at least with Max behind the wheel. Uh, But Aston is a draggy car. Uh, McLaren, they did well at Silverstone, but they're a draggy car. Mercedes is a draggy car. So I don't see any, any of their immediate competitors maybe Aston. Aston in the dry laps looked quicker again. So I would say Aston, Mercedes, McLaren are going to be very interesting to watch with a, with a nice dash of Williams along the top. And so yeah, if I'm a Mercedes fan, I can go into the weekend thinking that if everything goes my way, could we see a podium? Yeah, possibly. Are we going to be top 10? Yeah, definitely, I would think. Um, but I don't see any hope, uh, short of a mechanical failure or a crash, of of actually anyone other than Max winning at Monza, and for some time to come, I'm afraid.
1: Let's hope for a Mercedes driver on the podium. Cara, Matt, as always, thank you so much for joining us here on the Silver Rose Podcast. That's all we have time for this week. A massive thank you to Matt and Cara for joining us. Their social media handles are in the show notes. And thanks to you for listening. Do remember to follow us on Twitter at MerckF1Pod and hit that follow button in your podcast app. If you're enjoying these episodes and feeling extra kind, drop us a review and share this episode with anybody you think may enjoy it. We'll see you next week after Monza.